0: every week, let you know what our teaching topic is, what we're having for dinner, and uh, you can also sign up for Bible studies over there, or our men's ministry 12.2, which begins a week from Wednesday. Um, We have undergrad women's groups, grad student groups, uh, a lot of good ways for you to get involved in community. We're all about people from different areas of campus, both undergrads and grad students coming together to build Christian friendships, so we can just encourage each other in life Faith. Uh, so that's what we're about here at Connection. And tonight we have our senior pastor here at ECC, uh, Bob Whitaker. Yes. yes. <laughs> we're excited to have him here to speak on Christian faith and the life of the mind. And really look forward to that. And it's going to be very uh, interactive. So hope you came uh, feeling extroverted this evening. Um, oh. <laughs> See what else I get. From people from our church from time to time asking me if I know any students looking for a job. And I like to announce them in connection. If anyone wants to make some money doing lawn work, I can connect you with someone who has money and needs lawn work done. <laughs> 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 All right. So I can accumulate a list of names. And uh, make sure you see me before you leave if you would like to be added to that list because this, this happens more frequently than you would think. Uh, so, yes, why don't you pray and then Bob can begin. Father, thanks for this time we get to enjoy together tonight. Thank you for uh, the phase of life where we are able to dedicate ourselves to learning. Thank you for places like IU, where um, people who you created with brilliant minds, who you have gifted, God, are able to educate us and help us learn about the way this world works and how we can be people who uh, reflect your image as we seek to serve others, as we seek um, to care for others. be good stewards of this creation that you have made. And so we pray that you would be with us tonight as we think together about how our faith interacts with our learning. What does it look like for us to participate on campus as followers of Jesus Christ, to engage our academics with our minds, with our hearts, uh, with our hands even. And so we pray that you'd be with Bob as he shares. Uh, We just ask that you would bless our fellowship, our discussion, and time together in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.
2: So you're going to be over here. Uh, this computer keeps going off like every 10 minutes or less. So Josiah's going to post himself over here to make sure it doesn't go off all the time. Um, thanks for having me. Um, i got the school up here in case I need to say out. Now Josiah told me that tonight was going to be different. There was going to be no music, right? It was going to be really uninteresting and kind of flat and boring. So you find me. And... Uh, ask me if I can talk, right? Is that pretty, pretty accurate? Hey man, you've been building me up the past three weeks on Sunday morning. I know, yeah, that's <laughs> right. So, um, and, and he asked me just to think with you, not so much talk uh, about the life of the mind of a Christian. And so I'm not really going to give a long spiel. I've got some things I'm going to share with you. But really the major part of this is to hear from you. And, and you'll hear what I mean in a minute. By hearing from you, okay? So I started out by just trying to be cool and say, you can't Google this, what I'm about to say, uh, right? And the next slide actually is what I'm about to say, um, and it's this, if you're a Christian in the university, or anywhere else, but if you're in the university, okay, if you're a Christian in the university, here are a few things that are distinctive of you compared to everyone else. And here's a few things that are distinctive of Christians, broadly speaking, compared to everyone else. Not everybody else holds these points of view, but it's likely that you did. And so it redefines how you view reality, right? It gives a new definition to reality. So the beginning one is this. For the Christian, there is a transcendent, invisible reality. That just is sort of foundational to our faith. It's really foundational to theism at all. For the most part, right, people who just believe in God. But it's especially true for Christians. It's foundational that we believe in an in invisible, and I put invisible and transcendent reality in there, right? Not just invisible, like we, we ghosty, it's all around us invisible, but a transcendent overarching authority that's invisible, right? So the Christian has always embraced the notion that there is a God who is invisible and is out there and right here. But he's transcendent insofar as he's not just out there above time and space, but he's also transcendent as it, as it uh, applies to authority, morality, and all those kinds of things. All right? So that's a very fundamental uh, proposition of your faith if you're a Christian. And when you walk into the university, you hold that in a way that other people do not. Okay. So as the starting point, we begin there. Second thing is this. Coming out of that notion that there's a transcendent, invisible reality, as a Christian, you also believe something else about the transcendent, invisible reality. You believe, somehow, that real, deep meaning, or search for deep, existential, heart meaning, exists outside of material things, right? You believe that at a fundamental level. You believe somehow that the deepest notion of satisfaction of the heart, but just like I talked about this morning when we talked about relationship with Jesus Christ, that's an invisible reality, right, that gives meaning to life. So you begin with this presupposition that reality, the most important part of reality, cannot be found in matter or the material world alone. Now that sets you apart too, right? For instance, if you're a scientist, if you're an economist, and you're not a Christian, you may, and I don't want to indict all scientists or economists, but you may think, apart from this transcendent, invisible reality, you may actually think that you can find the ultimate meaning in life through your discipline or your study of material things or economics or any number of other things, right? But the Christian is fundamentally different in his or her thinking, okay? so. What does this mean? It it means, in effect, that no matter what we study at the university or how we experience life, there's something behind it all that gives real meaning to it. Um, I love uh, St. Augustine probably more than any other theologian. I disagree with him a lot on some things, but I love this guy. Um, He was the first epic theologian in the history of the church, part of Apostle Paul. Just an amazing guy. Uh, Augustine uh, uh, penned this quote in The Confessions, one of his most famous works. He said, You, Lord, who are so high above us, transcendent and visible, yet look with favor on the humble. You look also on the proud, but from far off. You come close only to men who are humble at heart. The proud cannot find you. Again, think transcendent, invisible reality. The proud cannot find you, even though by dint—a oh word, dint of study, intense study—they have the skill to number the stars and the grains of sand, and to measure the tracks of constellation and trace the paths of planets. O oh Lord. The transcendent, invisible reality that I affirm, says Augustine. You cannot be known except by those who are humble heart, And part of humility is the admission that there's something beyond the material, right? It, it really does take humility to say there is something out there that is invisible and transcendent and authoritative. And I can't wrap my hands around it can't wrap my mind around it, I can't even wrap my heart around it, but I believe in it. And I believe that's where ultimate meaning is found. That's a very humble, on your knees kind of position, right? It's not arrogant. Um, one of the problems with intellectual people, and I'm not a smart guy, but I count myself among those intellectual kind of people, one of the problems with intellectual people is they think they can always figure it out. Honestly, it's the biggest problem we have. We think somehow we can figure it out. And so scientists try to figure it out with the material world. All the rest of us try to figure it out in all kinds of other ways. Um, So it's a humble proposition to accept, number one. Second thing, if you're walking into the university, the life of the mind, and you're a believer, you want to affirm that all truth is truth about God. That is a, if it doesn't seem like it, I'm sorry, but that's a very radical statement. An incredibly radical statement. All truth is not just truth as a categorical transcendent theme Today, Anybody do philosophy, and you know about Plato? The forms? Out there stuff? Oh yeah. You got it. Even beyond that, it's, it's not as though there's truth and you affirm it and then you see God it's when you affirm truth you're actually affirming God Himself. Okay? Not all truth is just about God, but everything that is truth somehow is God. In a really deep fundamental That's why Jesus said when he was on this earth, I am the way, the truth. Notice the definite article and the life, The way the truth, and the lie. Jesus didn't say, I have the truth, right? I can point you to the truth. It's a transcendent norm that's above reality. It's even invisible. No, he said, I am the truth. Now, he's speaking as God incarnate. So he's basically saying God is truth. So the point is this. When you walk into the university of the life of the mind and you're looking for truth, you're trying to discover truth in any discipline, any discipline, Psychology, economics, philosophy, science, any discipline. When you discover truth, you have touched God. Now, it doesn't make any difference whether you recognize it or not. You've touched God. Because God is truth. So, having said that, here's what we need to remember. There is no discovery out there in your learning process that threatens the existence of God. There is none because every discovery, if taken the way Augustine speaks of it, leads us to the truth concerning God. You're a scientist, you do biology and you're just all bothered by the fact that there is this thing called an evolutionary process that doesn't seem to match your ideas concerning Genesis 1, honestly, guys, take a deep breath. It's okay. It really is okay. When you dive into the study of biology, everything you discover is truth about God. Now, it's not as though you understand the way in which it's connected to God, but it is. Okay? So there's no truth that you will find or discover that's contrary to the existence of God. There's no truth that you will discover in any discipline. Why? I, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1. He is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's talking about Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And here's the key. In him, all things hold together. Those are some of the most profound words in the New Testament. In Jesus Christ, All things are held together. In other words, the reality of our world, it would completely spin out of control, according to Paul, unless it was held together in Christ, who is the creator and sustainer of all things. So the pursuit of truth is actually, even if you don't know it, a pursuit of Jesus Christ. So don't be alarmed. That's the first thing I want to say. When you're pursuing truth in the university, there's no corner of truth where Christ does not exist because Christ is truth. In Him, everything, think glue, everything holds together. Okay? So, if that's true, if all truth is truth about God, knowledge is not the enemy, right? Not at all. It's the application of knowledge that's the enemy, it's the heart that's evil and wicked like mine, and sinful, that applies knowledge in an improper way, and then it becomes the enemy of me and others and God. There's no such thing as an enemy of God in God's created order, except things that have turned away from God. So knowledge itself is never the enemy. Actually, power is not the enemy. I love Lord Acton. He made a, a really profound quote one time, and, and I like it. There's some part of it I don't want to quibble with. Lord Acton said, Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Wonderful phrase. And it's true. But Lord Acton would not say that there's anything inherently evil about power. What he was saying oh, by the way, did you know what that, where that comes from? I, I'm off on a tangent, but. Sometimes we think of that as some sort of political comment, and it sort of was, but it actually came from a dispute among the theologians in the Catholic Church over what is called the infallibility of the Pope. The doctrine of papal infallibility was a rather late-developing doctrine of the Catholic Church, and so they declared the Pope, or at least the things he said in a pontificating kind of way, right, as declarations to be infallible. And Ward-Acton said, you're going the wrong direction. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. No human being, including the Pope, should ever be absolutely powerful because absolute power corrupts. Now, he wasn't, again, saying that there was anything wrong with power itself. If we said that, then we'd be saying something is fundamentally wrong with God himself, right? Because God is all-powerful. So power is not the problem. It's the human heart that's the problem. So again, the enemy is not power, uh, power. The enemy is not knowledge. The enemy is not passion. Sometimes we look at our world and we think, that's passion out of control. And we're right. But there's nothing wrong with passion. It's when passion is out of control that it's a problem. Um, So, I'll go on. I could just keep blubbering on forever. Number three. Everything for the Christian is for the glory of God. Okay? So go back to where we are. We're at the university. You're studying hard. You're learning things. You're discovering truths that sometimes just rock your world. Every bit of it is for the purpose of glorifying God. All of it. It was given to you so that you could glorify God. Your strength was given to you so that you could glorify God. I... um, I used to run a bit, and I never could run like Josiah could, but still I liked it. And one of my favorite movies, like everybody's, is Chariots of Fire, right? And Eric Little said, when his sister told him you need to go to the mission field, he said, no, you don't understand. When I run, I feel God's presence. You know, why? Because he was glorifying God with his body. He had incredible speed and amazing endurance. And he said, in the middle of that, I feel God's presence. Because my limbs were made to run. And glorify glorifying God with it. We've we got runners here. I know that. <laughs> You're glorifying God with every second you pick up. Because God created you with all your strength and all your power and all your capacity. You glorify God with your strength. You glorify God with your beauty and the creation of beauty. And you glorify God with your intellect. With every ounce of your intellect, you glorify God. I like to think of it this way. I I never lived in England. My my son and daughter-in-law are about to move to England on Wednesday. And I got England on my mind for some reason. But England has still got a monarchy, right? And you know what the greatest honor of just about any citizen in England is? To serve the queen. If it was a king, to serve the king. There's no greater honor. And what do you do when you serve the king or the queen? You give everything you have in service to another. Supposedly, it's never about you. It's always about Her Majesty. Supposedly, it's never about you. It's always about the kingdom. So God invites us to glorify him with everything that we have. We're in service to the king as Christians, so everything in the life of our mind is fully dedicated to the glorification of God. Uh, The third is Christians believe this. All life is a vocation, right? So we look at life, or we ought to look at life, as a gift from God, which is in service to the king. Let me make a contrast between vocation and occupation. Occupation is the word that's overtaken the word vocation. In the older days, we used to use vocation a lot. Now we use occupation all the time. Why? What's wrong with it? Well, here's what's wrong with it. Uh, Occupation, I mean, I I know it's a good word, but I still like it because I like vocation better. Occupation means to occupy one's time, right? At a kind of fundamental level. Occupation to occupy one's time. Occupation is routinely associated with making a living. Occupying your time in order to make a living. The idea of vocation is above that. It is that, but it's above that. It's about a calling. So vocation says you have been called by God to do what you're doing on behalf of God. It's your calling in life. So work is actually your calling in life. Study is actually your calling in life. Using the gifts that you have for a musical instrument is your calling in life. It's not just a job. That's vocation. The idea of work, especially in the Reformation tradition, is that work is a sacrament almost. It's sacred. God made us to work, and it's our vocation to do so. Um, Yeah, I'll stop here. This right here, It's an idea, um, now this is gonna sound like a promo, whose time is coming. And the reason I say it's a promo is because it's a growing passion of mine that I wanna see happen. So let me describe it this way. I wanna give you three places. In this town, these three places are very important. One is the university. It's the life of the mind. You're learning intensely for the purpose of Christian vocation. The second place is where you're sitting. It's the church. It's a community of Christ followers. And primarily it revolves around worship, corporate worship. Everything, everything from the church flows from the center of corporate worship. Everything we do... Discipleship, outreach, fellowship—everything flows from corporate worship because we come unified to worship Almighty God. Okay, so the church is about worship. There is, in connections, an extension of the church about worship. Crew, even though it's a uh, so-called parachurch ministry, it's about worship. It's about evangelism, discipleship, and worship on Thursday nights in the other camps. There's there's a third leg of the stool that I really believe is missing, and it's what I call a third place. It's a place where people like you guys and faculty members can be together in community to discuss intriguing, detailed, provocative, hard ideas so that you can figure out what it means to live Christianly in your vocational calling. Whether it has to do with science of faith, whether it's got to do with economics, right? Whether it's got to do with any number of other things, social issues, politics, moral issues. It's a place where you can come and those kind of discussions can take place in a really rigorous way. And such a place would be a place where we would invite people in. We would invite people in and we would sponsor them to speak. to talk to us about issues in the life of the mind. Uh, We've done some of this already, sort of in a freelance way with Veritas Forum. Those of you who have been around here for a little while know what I'm talking about. That's just the beginning of what we could do, I believe. In order to do that and to do it well, I'm calling it a third place because I don't think it should be connected to the university formally and I don't think it should be connected to the church formally. Like I'm the pastor of this church, but the idea I have of a third place is not associated with the church in any formal way. But it is a community of people who call themselves Christian who want to talk about the life of the mind and what it means. Um, I'm absolutely intrigued by this idea. It's in its most embryonic form, but I want to see it happen. Uh, Josiah knows about my passion for it. We've talked a lot about it. Um, I've talked to the board at the church and gotten their approval to pursue this, not on church time, right, because it is going to be something separate, but to pursue it and try to figure out what it looks like. Routinely, they call these places, and they're scattered all over the country, Christian study centers. Um, there are some great ones. Um, some, you know, some are ones at the University of Virginia, outstanding Another one's the University of Florida, a great Christian study center. One's the University of Minnesota. My alma mater, Dale, at Gales had one for 20 years. They're, they're all over the place, and they're great. And I would love to be able to introduce that idea to this particular place right here, in this IU community, uh, and see what we can do with it. So here, here's the last thing I want to say. Uh, if you're involved in a pursuit intellectual knowledge, which you're going to be, no matter where you are on that campus, I can promise you there is a professor who loves Jesus and is good at his or her discipline. And if you're lonely and you don't know where to go, give me a call. I know them. Okay. In every single discipline at the university, in spite of the fact that you feel like a lone stick, you're not. Um, I'll just name a few that I know really well. Most of them are here. One guy is um, Tim O'Connor. He's a professor of philosophy at IU and was the chair there for a number of years. Another is Rick Hollinger. He's on our board. He's a professor of psychology and brain science. Now there's a the topic. Another is Jeffrey Muller. He's at the business school, professor of entrepreneurial studies. Another guy that Josiah and I have gotten to know really well doesn't go to this church, he's a devoted Christian, has been a part of our Veritas Farms. His name is John Beggs. He's an associate professor of biophysics. Another guy in the community that I know well, he's the pastor of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. He's a professor of biology, and his name is Rich Holman. The list goes on, my friends. I'm telling you, they're out there. They're out there. You don't need to sell your soul to secularism. There are people who have worked through these issues together, and they are willing to talk to you. Uh, And I'd love to be able to put you in contact with those kind of people, if need be. Um, The next thing is basically, this is is your part, right? I'd like to hear from you. Uh, First of all, the idea that I proposed at the end, the third place, does it sound intriguing to you at all? Or are you just like, okay, Bob, you're just barking up the wrong tree. It's your fascinating idea. Go do it. But nobody cares. Uh, that's the first thing. And then the second part of the question is, what kind of ideas, right? What kind of issues related to your study at IU would be helpful for us to think about in terms of trying to engage your discipline, your issues, your struggle, whatever it may be. So just have a I mean, this is open for us. You can ask me anything, too. I probably won't have any answers, but I'm happy to pretend like it is, it is true. <laughs> I'll talk, so. Um, yeah, if, if you guys don't engage, this is gonna be a really bad exercise because Jeff has given me a grade and reporting it to the Board of Elders as to how I did. If you don't ask any questions, I'm getting that grade. Just feedback. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. Uh, my is Will. I've never uh, been here before, but I like the idea. Oh, the Christian's sake. Uh, yeah. Third place. Yeah. You know what somebody told me I was talking to? I've been talking to people about this for about almost oh, six, eight <laughs> months. And I was trying to describe, get my head around what it is I was trying to describe. And I came up with this idea of third place. It actually comes from a book. And I came up with the idea of third, third place. And the guy goes, dude, why don't you just call it that? Third place. Like, Oh, that's okay. Because we've been thinking about all these names, you know, third place, okay. It's it, it's sure provocative, right? Nobody knows what it is, so they ask the question. So Thank you. Yes, sir. Let me just make a quick comment mm-hmm. uh,
1: related to that. I think the law school has this society called the Christian, Christian uh, Law Student
2: Society. I see yeah. they meet uh, every week. Mm-hmm. But the law school is always, I know they have this kind of uh, informal. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, you know, I, if I propose such an idea you know, in my department, which is business school, uh, the thing is, you do not know who, who are going to, how they're going to respond, so there's always a sort of, a, you know, a uncertainty with, uh, associated with that. But, uh, you know, of course, as you said, there are uh, Christian professors and students who you do not know, that exist. So, like, it's always a, you know, so how do we, you know, how do we reach out to them? And, like, Sort of a form of, you know, so that can work together to have such ideas. Yeah, there are a lot of subsets of what you're talking about. The law school and other places have such things, organizations of Christian students. And I would love to think that in the future, such organizations, and they're usually pretty small, would be intrigued by the third place that we're talking about, so that everybody in every discipline could be a part of this. Um, so, for instance, let's say, for instance, we would sponsor on some evening we ever got to this place. We would sponsor something that has to do with law and Christian ethics or something like that You know, in terms of that. So there would be that. There would be science. There would be this. There would be all kinds of things. So getting them together, that's a good question. How do you do that? Um, Yeah? So I'm I'm not a student, but I think what
3: you're saying is and what's kind of going through in my heart and mind is a lot of times I think about these things and I want to see How God is transcended in biology, or so forth, and I I want to see the facts, but that's not enough. There there is a linking of the heart and the mind, and and I've come to realize that a lot of times I'm thinking, well, as as long as I get the facts straight, that's going to be enough for me. Mm -hmm. That's not enough. Yeah, that's not. And and I think that is a key. I think for this third place is, I think I think the nice thing about it is there are times where we get the spiritual here right, we get the intellectual there yeah. on campus, but you need you have to bridge both of those together. They yeah. have to come together, here. and and I think that can happen in in other forms. But I think I think the big
2: opportunity there is. And, but how do you do it? I guess that, that's maybe a good question. Oh, yeah. How do you <clears throat> Yeah, it, it's going to be a challenge. Right? I'm going to get together a group of people who I've been talking to over time to try to shape this thing and figure out how to do it. But I will tell you about, I've been doing a lot of investigation. I've visited a lot of these places to see what's going on. Uh, this summer I went to the Consortium of Christian Study Centers, which was in Asheville, and people converged from all over the country, to be a part of it. And what I have found out is that every single one of them is different. And they're defined by their locale, and they're also defined by their leadership. So um, some of them are more inclined to undergraduates. Some are more inclined to graduates. Almost none of them have a faculty element to them. And what I mean by that is they don't have a faculty element that has the faculty a part of this in, in, in a way that is nurturing to the faculty themselves. The faculty are resources, but they're not a part of the process whereby they're nurtured, right? So there's those thing in the faculty forum that I have been able to find yet, where faculty members get together to talk about these things together. It's more or less the students. Uh, some of them are very research-oriented. Um, some of them are very fellowship-oriented. Uh, some of them uh, have foot traffic of 10,000, 15,000 people a year. Uh, because they have a really popular hip coffee house as a part of them, um, all of them have these uh, lecture series and conversations going on constantly. Um, so it's a lot to learn. Yeah, trying to figure like, out. How do you see that in your life? How, do, how does how did that play out? Bridging the
3: heart and mind. How do you how do you see that playing out? Maybe in a third place, but just in your own life. How,
2: how does that? Well, in, in a way, that's a good question, in a way, just sounds really coy, but that's just been my life. I mean, no words, it's been, there's been no more compelling question for me than the question I'm proposing in this third place idea, right? I've constantly been asking that question and been with people who are asking that question and searching it out. So, um, autobiographically, yeah, it's always happened. Uh, organizationally, I'm trying to figure out a way for it to happen. Yes? I really like this idea. One topic that
1: um, I guess I have questions about is, a lot of times you think about how do we reconcile Christianity and science and things like that, where it's very, I guess, fast-based, right? Right.
2: I think to talk about these subjects because there are people who have um, wrestled with it really well, as you know. And once you're done with your PhD, you'll go somewhere else to teach, and we'll call you back to do this. There you go.
0: Setting up. Can I ask another question for you all to think about? Something I would be interested to hear is when you consider your life on campus, what needs do you have? that you don't feel like the church or the parachurch is meeting? Yeah. Uh, what are the gaps between your faith and your learning that we are uh, failing to meet? Uh, not that it's the job of the church to meet every one of those gaps. There is certainly a, a place for a third place. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what What gaps do you perceive?
2: Yes, very well put. Just thought I was it right down there. <laughs> We're yeah. What gap? <laughs> what is the only option I have, Bob? I can't get up there. <laughs> i got to stay down there. Where the gap for you guys? Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I guess for me, um, so you talked about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wonder, Grace, if part of the answer to that is um, a conversation with folks about a particular area that you're studying, right? You're, you're in it, whatever it is, you're in this area. And out of that, a question arises. And you say to that person, this is a question I have. It's one I'm wrestling with. And as a matter of fact, I know a place where a group of people are getting together to address that issue. And I think it would be great to talk about it and I wonder if you'd like to join me. So I think it's gonna be more of a one-on-one kind of thing than anything else, for the rest of the thing. Um, you can advertise, so, yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, I was just saying that I think this is really good. Like I'm a media and film studies major and like the media industry is a really corrupt like, dark sinful industry. And I, like personally, I would love to see <coughs> change. I know there must be other people out there who want to see it change too, but you know, like you can't go in there and just change it just by yourself, just yeah. as one person. So I think being able to find like, a community of people who all want to work together to change it. Like, mm-hmm. there's strength in that. And I think that be really helpful like, for everyone to have that community of people who think like you, who want to see it like you. You know, I
2: think, uh, let me put it in a different way. I'll use one word, ambassador. I think that if we get this thing going, the people like you who have the issue, right? Struggling with it? You're the ambassadors for this, and if you can get a coalition of people together just to have a conversation about it, word spreads and it begins to germinate, so to speak. And I know what you're talking about. I have a heart for that. My uh, son is going to England right now to do film studies and graduate work, and uh, he's been in Hollywood for four years, so I, I know the world you're talking about. I wish there was more light in that darkness. Yeah.
0: in what ways would a study center be an evangelistic tool where students could invite friends who are asking questions, and um, and in what way would this be a discipleship center where students who are already believers could process things at a deeper level? Is it both of those? Is it more of one than the other? What does that look like? Um,
2: This could sound really negative, but it's less of both of those than you would find at a campus ministry, right? So campus ministry, when it's true navigators, or whatever, this is reductionism. The campus ministries are focused on evangelism and discipleship, right? That's that's what they're about for the most part. And what I want to say is that this is not that. It's not primarily about evangelism and discipleship. That doesn't mean that evangelism won't go on. It doesn't mean discipleship won't go on. But it's not um, like lifestyle discipleship. It's not getting together and thinking about, um, man, this is sounding awful about how I can be a better Christian, you know, uh, how I can stay away from pornography, how I can do this or that or the other. It's not about that. It's about discipleship in a different kind of way. It's about what does it mean to engage my particular a- academic discipline in a very Christian manner. That is discipleship. Now, when it comes to evangelism, my description would be what the study center would be doing would be what I call further upstream. Okay? Like it would be planting seeds up there that wouldn't be as overt evangelism as you and I might think of as pastors. Right? It would be planting seeds related to the life of the mind among skeptical and quasi-believers so that they can have another open door to step just a little bit closer to faith. Josiah and I know a guy, okay, and I'll tell this story now. Um And I would say that this individual has experienced evangelism from us at ECC. But he's experienced evangelism in a much different way than your typical evangelistic approach. And I won't won't name it, because that's not right. (coughs) But this guy is a rather ardent, or was a rather ardent atheist. he came to a couple of our seminars that we had here at the church, and we engaged him in conversation, and the person who's talked to him more than anybody else on our church staff has been Dan Waugh. Dan Waugh has lunch with him routinely, and one of the occasions when he was here, we uh, sponsored a lecture by a guy called Daniel Taylor, and Daniel Taylor, in effect, said, faith is not certainty. There's room for doubt in the Christian experience, okay? And I want you to understand that I don't have it all figured out. Now, this guy was a committed evangelical Christian to his core. But what he said was, a lot of times, Christians, in their attempt to proclaim the gospel, and he was like, maybe he's I had a target on my chest when I read the book, he said, what we often do is we blow smoke, Right? We pontificate, we talk about everything, we make it sound so grand that you can't even see through the smoke screen. And the reality behind the smoke screen is that you and I have our own doubts. We absolutely believe, but we're struggling with our own doubts. Okay? And if you don't believe that, think about John the Baptist for a minute. John the Baptist, right before he was getting ready to get his head chopped off, sent his disciples out to talk to Jesus. And he said to the disciples through his disciples, Are you the one, the real one, the Messiah? Or should we be waiting for another one? Now some people say John the Baptist sent his disciples out so it can confirm their faith. Right? Oh, when well, you hear Jesus to talk to him, you'll know he's the one. That's what I wanted for you fellows. My answer is below me. John the Baptist was in a prison, a dank, dark prison, and his faith was on the rocks. And he was struggling. And he was saying, Jesus, are you really the one? I believe. Please help my unbelief. So he sent out the disciples and they came back and they told him what Jesus said. And it restored his faith, right? So that's the kind of thing Daniel was saying. We blow smoke and we pretend like we don't have any issues. But that's not true. We do have issues, but we still believe. All right, so, there's a long story to this. This friend of ours, who was a committed atheist, has now moved, just slightly. And now he's going to the Universalist Unitarian Church in town. And he was a part of our carloid meeting, which means Captain Religious Leaders. Now look, I want him to come all the way over here. (laughs) Right? I want to see him here as a devoted follower of Christ. But it's amazing, that first step. And you know what he said to us? Dan said to him, what made the difference and he said, actually, it was that seminar you guys hosted. He said, I listened to that professor, and I realized I was the same guy. I was blowing smoke. I was blowing smoke about atheism. And I gotta open my heart to something else. How about that? Now here's the thing nobody shared on our staff a sort of Approach to evangelism that is typical. You know, the four spiritual walls or any of those things which are wonderful. That was not the approach. The approach was, let's have a conversation, buddy. Let's just talk. And bit by bit, he's coming around. So, back to Josiah's question. I know you set me up for this because we're thinking like this. That's the kind of evangelism that this does. It's different than the kind of evangelism that you might call street evangelism or one-on-one, you know, calling people to make a commitment right here, right now. Uh, and discipleship, same way. It's, it's a different form of discipleship, but it's going on. that yeah. was way too long of an answer. <clears throat>
1: well,
0: thanks so much, Bob. really appreciate yeah. it. Would,
2: would you be willing to close us in prayer? Sure, yeah. God, we thank you that you are there and you are not silent. It's possible that you could have been there and been silent. But we spoke for Jesus Christ, which the scripture calls the word. What a wonderful, wonderful idea. The word became flesh. The invisible God became visible in Jesus Christ. Not everything about God is knowable to us, but we know enough about God to trust you. And we trust you, the invisible God of creation. We submit ourselves to you, and we want to pursue you through every avenue that's available to us. Even the ones that seem like a challenge to our faith, if we understand it properly, they're not. Because every bit and shred of truth is about you so give us the heart to uh, pursue you in the midst of our vocation in the midst of our study give us the wisdom to see beyond the so called facts of nature and don't let our hearts melt Lord in the midst of the onslaught of criticism directed towards faith Uh, may we still be strong may we continue to believe and when we're faltering like that disciple, may we say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm on the precipice, and I need some grace. And you'll give it to us. You'll give it to us in your word. You'll give it to us through prayer. And you'll give it to us through people. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.